Yo, what's going on? It's your boy, Big Wavy Roy Johnson here. Hello everyone, this is the interview queen, Alicia T. This is the infamous Cameron Solis. This is the professional Nathan Cruz. This is Veggie. This is the Callahan Death Machine in the draw and the face of Impact Wrestling. Danny Callahan. The one know each other under Willie Mac. This is Shreddy Break, aka Mr. Clangin' and Bangin'. And you're listening to You are listening to You are listening to Broken But Glorious. Broken but glorious. Broken but glorious. Yeah. Hello everyone. It's Stephen Jackson, aka DJ215, here again. And I've got a really special project in the works here. So um first of all, it's my privilege and pleasure to be able to interview and join with me a gentleman who I spoke to a couple of years ago and he's going to be with me on this project today and that's Adam the Arsenal Acevedo how are you doing I'm doing amazing how are you oh, I'm very well thank you um yeah. two years ago since we last spoke in a project which didn't sort of hasn't yet seen the light of day but I just wanted to uh before I go into this project itself um just kind of give people an overview in case they don't know you was a you are a wrestler over in over in America and just kind of give an overview as to you and where you were uh, sort of got into wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I'm a professional wrestler of the New York area. I trained under the amazing Red at House of Glory, and I've slowly branched my way out and um, you know just paying my dues, you know putting my name out there, uh, trying to build a name for myself just like any other professional wrestler in the industry. And um, yeah, you know as, as a love for professional wrestling, um, I got great opportunities and. Uh, Got to meet great uh, people, and I love my way all the way here to Stephen for this uh, beautiful podcast. <laughs> ah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, you know, we um, spoke about your time in because you briefly went to Japan, um, which mm-hmm. was really cool. Um, which we'll we'll get into in a, in a second. So, for those people now who are listening, the reason I invited Adam on the show is because um, the project itself is going to be known as Memories of Muta. Um, so the great Muta, KG Muto, is retiring in uh, February next year, so February 2023. And he's one of my all-time favorite wrestlers and several other um, fans and many wrestlers' favorite wrestler and a hugely influential figure in not just mm. only the history of Japanese wrestling, but in the world of wrestling as a whole. And um, I wanted to somehow pay tribute i wanted to come up with an idea of paying tribute to muta because he has had such an impact and he will have such an impact going forward in terms of what he's left in terms of his career and his uh, legacy in in wrestling because it is just unbelievable so the reason i invited adam on for people who are listening is because adam um during his time in house of glory as he mentioned actually met the great muta and watched the great muta in person so what i want to start with is Hence the name Memories of Muta. What are your memories of Muta before you actually met him? So had you known of him before you actually uh, approached him in, oh, well, sorry, he approached House of Glory? Yeah, so um, I, you know, just being in, in this generation, like having YouTube at the tips of my fingers, you know, I'll just go back and watch a lot of matches. And um, I saw a lot of his work at WCW, actually. Mm. And, uh, yeah, just bumping into him or just – stumbling along all of his work i thought he was really really interesting character i saw that um you know through a lot of gimmicks and a lot of like um funny characters back in the day he was a very um he was a monstrous very serious character and i it just i instantly just got glued to him uh so when he when i found out he's coming to house of glory i thought that was like such an amazing opportunity just to actually witnessed it in person and i thought it was like such a nice treat just to be able to do that yeah i mean a treat is kind of putting it uh lightly it'd be for me i'm very similar to you in that i um saw muta it's interesting like there are certain certain wrestlers who kind of stand out to you and and i had access to we didn't have internet at the time but i had access to wcw on terrestrial television here in the uk it's the story i've told many times but not only did the show um current up-to-date WCW, but they also showed um, on at random times, they used to show sort of vintage WCW. So I remember seeing sort of Surfer Sting and the great mm-hmm. Muta with his face paint in sort of around, you know, I, I presume it was kind of the 89 period where he was, you know, um, in the whole Terry Funk and 
Ric Flair period. Yeah. But then I know he was around in sort of 92 as well when they went over to him and Sting tagged against the Steiners. So it might have been around then, but very much like you, he was such a, or he is, or such a serious character, such a, a sort of threat in terms of he had that mystique to him. I mean, I've heard the comparison before. It's a bit like The Undertaker in that he reinvents himself, Muta, but he has that a unique aura to him, doesn't he? Like he's just the Pearl of the Orient, as they call him, don't he? He's just a magnificent character, you know, and he just draws you in. Um, and I mean, seeing him in person, was that the Did you actually feel that more so than you expected as well? So when you did actually meet him and see him, did that sort of gravitate even more so? Yeah. Um, just being in that, well, one is just New York crowd. So like New York was just, just felt electric already. But the second he walked out, it was nothing like I've ever felt before. It was like I unlocked a new emotion. You know, I, um, I felt goosebumps on top of goosebumps. Like when he walked out, um, everybody just went insane. And he, he does very little, but he, you know, just walking to the ring, just everything is so subtle and it means so much that people were just going so crazy. And I, I'm getting just goosebumps thinking about it right now. <laughs> it, it was definitely um, something I'll always remember. It was, um, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it, it's, it was, it's kind of like I can imagine, just like lost for words. You know, I can't even. I mean, when we did previously speak before, and I may be getting my facts wrong here because it's a while since we spoke, and I had, didn't. Uh, but were you actually part of the sort of security for Muta, did you say, as well? Like his kind yeah. of, yeah, which was cool as well to think of. So, what I mean, did that feel a bit of a big responsibility for being for somebody like him with his kind of, um, you know, legacy and uh, significance? Did it feel, or did it feel more of an honor to be able to be in that, pre- his presence in that kind of a role? It was it was definitely a huge honor, especially at that time. Um, you know, I was very early. Uh, I was still training. I was like, I was paying my dues, like doing security for there. Like, you know, I was just you know making sure that nobody was you know acting on the line. Um, you know, like um, fan wise, um, I, I was there when they're doing like meet and greets. Um, he, he, you know, beforehand just being around him, uh, he seemed like a very very wholesome individual. You know, and yeah. we. we, we other and just give each other you know little nods you know and i just you know he's is just a very wholesome person and i wish that uh, i had the chance to just sit down and talk to him and just pick his brain but uh just being around him that night doing security for him and then being able to see him beforehand and while he transformed into the great muda i thought was super interesting as well and um just that that crazy divide of like personalities um was definitely something interesting to see yeah, it's interesting you bring that up, actually, because that's one of the points I was going to discuss as well, is that it's interesting because unlike a lot of retirement uh, retirement sort of tours, um, retirement tours obviously are a famous sort of uh, tradition in Japanese uh, professional wrestling, you know, different towns that have been, and, you know, venues that have been significant in wrestlers' careers, you know, they do a whole tour and then people can, you know, go and see them for one final time. And we're already sort of about... Uh, two shows, uh, sorry, three shows into Muta, PKG mm. Muto's retirement tour over in NOAA. Um, so like I said, his final tour over in uh, Yokohama Arena and um, the Tokyo Dome, I believe, in February for KG Muto's final match. And that's the thing is that the great Muta has a retirement show, but also KG Muto has a retirement show because they are, although they are one, in that Keiji Muto is the, the person, both Keiji Muto and the great Muto have both had his his uh, alternative persona and alternative personality, the great Muto. They're both, and, and Keiji Muto, sorry, the alternative personality, they both had significant careers in different ways. And it's interesting you say about that transformation in terms of, was it um, a physical transformation or was it more, or was it also like an actual... Uh, body language and his actual mindset like did you see something something change i always find this quite fascinating with wrestlers before they go out to wrestle and things where you know pre-match rituals and things like that did you see that firsthand that kind of what was that like as well yeah it was a whole transformation he was a totally different individual 
like I, I if I didn't know any better and that was like my first day in wrestling um and for some reason to pass by him beforehand and um in the ring I would have not put two and two together uh, like yeah he um it was like transforming into a, a spiritual beast uh he him and his body language as the great Muda um was just insane uh he I'm just thinking of him like spitting his mist right now. Uh, yeah, we did the, on the video. This is the thing as well. On the video, when we had our previous interview for people who were listening, we spoke about the mist and then we both did the whole thing of the mist, didn't we? Which again, you know, I mean, what was, did he spit the mist in the match? Actually, did he, he, he do did, it? Actually, um, he spit the mist um, at the end of his entrance because that, that night it was Pentagon Jr. to Jerry great muda versus um santana ortiz and loki wow and um yeah so when he, he did his big entrance he was last to come out and pentagon tajiri and muda at the, at the same time posed and all spit mist into the air i've seen that i've seen that picture yeah, yeah. see it's amazing yeah, it was a really electrifying moment i was it was so insane i was like that's that's elite that's how I like <laughs> it's interesting as well because um but was it all, before I ask the question, actually, was it all different colours, the mist? Can you remember? Because they, they, obviously the colours sometimes are significant as well in terms of the supposed, like you were saying, spiritual powers within the mist, like the red mm-hmm. mist and the green mist. Were they all different colours, what they all had, or were they all one? Can you remember? Um, if I can remember correctly, it was pre- I'm pretty sure it was all green. All green. Yeah. And didn't Muda used to have a yellow mist as well? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah he did. Uh, I have like a faint memory of that too. And I was like wondering if I was, uh, it was playing tricks on me or not. Yeah. He used to have yellow mist. So it was green mist, which I believe is the first sort of significant mist, the mm. red mist, black mist, um, and yellow. Um, because, uh, the black mist was, um, well, Tajiri used several of them as well. It's interesting because Tajiri, took a lot, although he didn't take a lot from Muta, he said it was more so Kabuki, as he mentioned once in an interview. There are very similar, uh, you know, similar, various similarities between the great Muta and uh, and Tajira. Um, and, I mean, the other thing about, as well about the great Muta, like you were saying then about um, his entrance and things like that, is that he carries himself... And even as, as KG well, even as himself, KG Muto, you feel so he he has such a aura to him where you are sort of glued to him, and he, he just carries himself in such a a way that you're drawn in. And I mean, like when um he does he doesn't like you said as well, he doesn't do a lot, but what he does do sort of sticks with you, and it is sort of very explosive, and it's all down to sort of psychology and body language and the yep. movement in the ring and i mean even now this is the thing he's 60 years old he's, he's going to be 60 years old when he retires the great muta keiji muto that's unbelievable you know like yeah. he's been wrestling since 1984 continually i mean nearly 40 years and he's going to be 60 years old when he retires and he doesn't look 60 years old i mean i know that he's older and his body's you know obviously is he part of the reason he's retiring is due to the doctor saying that he needs to juice his body breaking down and things, but in his face and in his actual um, mannerisms, I don't believe that he looks like a 60 year old man in the slightest. I think he's in, no. uh, at all. Um, and I mean, he, well, when you did see him wrestling as well um, at house of glory, I mean, those guys you just mentioned there, you know, uh, Pentagon, uh, Tajira, LAX at the time, LAX, Ortiz and Santana and Loki, all very athletic, all very junior heavyweight wrestlers and things. And hanging with, was he able to, you know, sort of hang with them and, you know, go in and sort of mix it up with them quite, you know, quite uh, easily, you know, that it finished really well. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. He's very um, intense and quick and snappy with his movements that he can definitely hang and still move around. Um, And also, I mean, I knew he was a big guy, but like seeing him in real life as well, like he's huge. Yeah. He's, he's like, he's massive. But um, yeah, just being in that ring, especially like you said, all those junior heavyweights, he, he definitely was hanging in there. And you can tell that the other five had, like they admired and respected him so much that it was like an honor for, the, you know, for them to compete 
against each other. So and you, you can tell that just from the beginning of the match that um, it, it was really uh, cool to see. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, there's obviously, um, though Loki, for example, you know, there's a lot of uh, influence, you know, the Shining Wizard and the kicks mm. and the, like I said, the explosiveness, the dragon screw leg whips, which are one of my favourite, just oh. mooters, dragon yeah. screw leg whips are just a thing of beauty, um, especially through the ropes. I love them. They're brilliant. Um and it's interesting as well because uh, so kind of um, in terms of memories as well of Muta, one of as I just mentioned earlier on, so one of my favourite feuds, one of my earliest memories of the great Muta and KG Muto, as I mentioned, is the feud with um, with Sting. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, that whole, uh, it might, just so you know, let me just make a note. It may cut off this call in a minute, but then I'll start another one and then I can just edit them together. It's just because I've not got pro. So don't worry about it. We'll start again. It's just, it's just uh, Zoom. So don't worry about it. We'll still carry on. <laughs> it just does it. Don't worry about it. So what I was saying before that was um, sort of start from start from there, what I was saying. Um, so with them, um, one of my favourite feuds was the, what, the feud he had with, uh, with Sting and their interactions with one another because, you know, Sting had the face paint. Sting had the explosive style. Sting was very, um, you know, sort of uh, a character. He was an out of a comic book character and Muta as well. Very <laughs> much was like that as well, wasn't he? And that he had the face paint, the mist, and they complemented each other so well. And they still, they still do. I mean, what are your favorite Muta feuds or Muta matches? What you've watched over the years? Uh, 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 Sting would definitely be a big one as well. And, and I, I just, um, as you're speaking as well, I just remembered that uh, he came uh, back to AB, AEW recently. He did, yeah. And it, it was kind of like a full circle um, moment as well because he came um, to rescue Sting. He did, yeah. So I was like, I, I, yeah, as you were speaking, that just popped up in my head and I was like, wow, like I just put two and two together. Like, I, I should have put it together earlier when I was uh, watching it, but I was like, oh yeah, like he came back, people thinking he was going to, you know, attack Sting and he actually comes to his aid and it's like a, a full circle uh, moment of those two, like reuniting. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, that, that for me was the, as a fan of wrestling, that they're kind of two of my all time favorites. And, you know, again, Sting, this is the thing about the two men, you know, Sting's in his sixties and he's still able to, he can still go, you know, he, he's putting on some phenomenal performances and he as well, he's going to be at uh, Keiji Muto's final uh, retirement match which is a massive thing you know the two of them together started near enough in the industry together in the sort of mid 80s and then you know paths uh, met one another in sort of the NWA and then following that WCW and you know I think Muta just brought the best out of Sting and Sting brought the best out of Muta yeah. and it was one of those uh, whether they were opponents however they were a tag team they just see, seemed to just kind of mesh perfectly together and that's another thing is that Muta, in terms of, like I said at the beginning, him being a, a wrestling icon, is that unlike a lot of Japanese wrestlers, the great Muta adapted to the United States and the United States just gravitated so much to him um, that he, I believe somewhere, and I don't know, I may be misquoting, but he said that sort of, he always sees the USA as his spiritual home because that's where he kind of found his feet. Um, and as you mentioned then, I mean, when you said about him coming out in his uh, for his entrance and the crowd and that reaction, I mean, it must feel kind of a unique experience in that a wrestler being so popular over in Japan, but then just being as equally popular over in the United States, you know. And I mean, did it feel like that in person as well, that it was kind of like someone coming home, not necessarily being a guest of honour from another country, if that makes sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and when he came in, it was like a big welcome home hug it was like he, he th that was his place to be when he came through those curtains and, and he definitely felt it and presented it that way and we all as fans and me as security just you know becoming a fan just watching um it just uh we definitely just gave him like a gigantic group hug when he came uh, through those curtains it's amazing to think that you know a massive uh, a massassive hug um <laughs> he's one of the, no, I just think he's one of those guys I would just love to shake the hand of and just, you know, say thank you for the contributions he's made to the industry. And one of those guys who's just been, you know, it's strange because it's part of, a bit like when Jushin Thunder Liger retired, where it's part of your childhood, what's kind of 
you think these people are immortal in a sense and they're going to, you know, a bit like The Undertaker. That's what I mean about him is that he was there for so long and it's kind of, you know, the retirement and things. It feels very bizarre um, to think about it. And um, the other thing as well about Moot, so what I was going to say as well is that his career as a whole, he's very Mm. unique in that he's wrestled in every major Japanese wrestling promotion and he's held every major heavyweight championship in every Japanese promotion. You know, he's held the IWGP heavyweight championship. He's held the all Japan triple crown championship and he's recently held the GHC heavyweight championship, you know, Um, he's held over like 30 titles, I believe. Yeah. Which is phenomenal. You know, he, he, and is able to adapt so easily to each different promotion and each different style and able to put his own stamp on it, you know, his, because uh, I mean, in terms of his, for the, it's interesting as well, but for obviously this kind of like the early years of Muta, which is, you know, like we're saying WCW and sort of the New Japan period. And then there was sort of the middle years where it was in all Japan and there was Wrestle One where you went as part of the dojo experience. You went to the Wrestle One dojo over in, uh, in Japan. Um, and what was it like, actually? This is kind of off topic slightly from Muta, but with him, I think I might have asked you during the interview, but did you actually see Muta have an interaction? Did he interact with the dojo students out in Japan or was it all uh, done by other wrestlers other than him? Because Wrestle One was his promotion, wasn't it? Yeah, we were with um, Sonny Ono and Kaz Hayashi for a while, uh, but we didn't get a chance to um, see Muta, sadly. He was out and about. Um, he was just doing his own thing, you know, just being being Muta. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have definitely been a great experience if I got to um, see him and probably talk to him a bit, but um, no, yeah, we, we, that's one thing I probably didn't get from that experience is actually being with uh, Muda and, um, and talking to him. Yeah. Or, or, or at least like, uh, cause we're doing things every single day in the ring and like training. Um, I would have loved just to have him sit, you know, on the side and just watch me move and watch me do my work and craft and have them uh, just comment on it. Maybe, you know, see things that I wouldn't see and give me tips on that. Yeah. No, I can understand that because again, his uh, experience in so many different places is unparalleled, you know, in both the, you know, Japan and the United States and, and further afield um, as well. He, um, and in terms of his adaptability, that's what I was going to say in terms of, you know, watching him as a fan, because we were talking before we started recording about favourite matches and things like that, or matches we've seen, it always just seems like he slots perfectly into wherever he's wrestling and it just feels natural. It's not like some wrestlers where, say like um, some wrestlers who maybe from, uh, you know, ECW, for example, like, I don't know, the Sandman, when the Sandman turned up in WWE, yeah. it didn't work. I mean, mm-hmm. or... You know, when uh, in WCW, when um, someone like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of an example of another example now, but those wrestlers who are so sort of, um, they're so sort of uh, known for being in a particular company that then when they go somewhere else, it's very difficult to adapt. Whereas with Muta, it always seems like he just, yeah, mixes it up perfectly, and wherever he is, he just slots himself into it. And I mean, as a fan, have you seen that as well? Like, is that something you see quite frequently in his work? Yeah, I, like you, you know, you have something special when you can apply yourself to any type of uh, position or angle or be in a ring with any type of um, individual, and it works. You know, like yeah, that's, that's truly a special moment. I even think about um, like if it was in NWA, like going against like Flair, like yeah. him and Flair. That's a real opposite clash of personalities as well, and that's like a real Japanese style versus at the time, you know, like the American style. Like they, they were kind of polar opposites in a sense, and it, it worked perfect um, when they stepped in the ring with each other. I mean, then again, they're both legends in the industry, but that, when you think about it, like it's it's pretty interesting how two opposites made such a, a perfect uh, click that night. They did, yeah. That is a. That is an amazing match. I do love that one. I think that's one of my uh, other favourites from that period. I love the um, the match as well with um, 
I've been revisiting a lot of his All Japan work because that's been up on YouTube to watch, like from the early 2000s. So I remember watching them here in the UK on the wrestling channel when um, he was the Triple Crown champion and saw the match he has, sorry, the matches he had against guys like Toshiaki Kawada. There was a Hashimoto, like you were talking about before, where it's sort of the spiritual um, change and sort of the spiritual beast per se, where he's just beating sort of Hashimoto to a pulp in the you know, 2000s, because like I said, I had access to those matches from his period in all Japan. And they're on YouTube for anyone who wants to see. And I may put, a, might kind of put together a little kind of playlist of some of my favourite Muta matches from that period. And Keiji Muto, because Keiji Muto was famous as well. And especially as well, because I've read around uh, his um, period in all Japan. He, it was the first time really was able to kind of reach out, uh, sorry, go out on his own. It was kind of the first time Muta had been able to kind of wrestle fully as a heavyweight. And like we were talking about earlier with the junior heavyweight match you witnessed and him as a heavyweight, he's very versatile in that regard as well. And like you said, as him as being a big guy, wrestle so many different styles just so effortlessly. And do you think that is a kind of another reason why he's wrestled for so long in that he's just able to mix it up so fluently with so many different people? Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's been around for so long. He's probably encountered every single type of uh, style and, and um, just way people move in the ring. That he's just so versatile that he just adapt and um, you know help uplift his opponent in the ring. Um, it's, it's definitely pretty cool to see. Um, th- yeah, the way he adapts. You know, when you think about it, the size of the opponent, the way they move, how fast they move, uh, where he, where they uh, even trained. Um, especially because of um, like Lucha, uh, they do a lot of things differently. It's very yeah. opposite how um, other styles are, are trained as well. So um, to be able to, you know, do one way and do another and, and be able to uh, work very well with all different athletes and personalities and, and types of training uh, just goes to show um, his legendary status as a wrestler. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say about the Lucha influence there because it's something which, again, with the whole variety of his face paints and his his masks and his style i mean i love the variations of the masks as well in the face paint do you have a particular favorite mask or look to muta which kind of drew you in the most yeah i I love he has this um white and black mask and it has like a gold um like orb almost in the middle oh yeah and i I just think it looks so sick he's one of the main reasons why I decided to get a mask made for myself as well. Oh, wow. And I was going to pull on, like try to get something like what he wears, but I, I ended up not doing it. Um, but I thought it was so sick. It looked like something just out of, um, like out of, out of a movie. Like he actually looks like such a, a creature with that mask on that um, I wanted to own it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, I remember um, like first seeing him with the mask. I was looking online. I was like, where can I find his mask? He's like nowhere to be found. <laughs> find out who made his mask um but yeah i was like it was, it was such a unique look and, and it, it hugs his face and it fits so perfectly that it looks like it's a part of him and it, yeah. it adds his um you know the, the monstrous look in the ring as well um so yeah that, that white mask if i can find a picture of it i'll probably send it over to you but um yeah it was a, a super um sick detail i love that one i do love that mask is that the last mask as well with the uh, LEDs in it. There's one of them where it's got LED. It might his entrance mask has got LEDs in it, and they what light up kind of like black. Sorry, red. Sorry, they light up, don't they? Um, I don't know if it's that one, but there's one which has lights in it, which is really cool as well. Um, don't know if it's that one though. I might be getting it wrong. Um, I love the um in terms of his his masks. I love the uh sort of mid two thousand one, which is more sort of um. It's kind of more like a spider's web, kind of black, and um, it's he's got really black eyes. What he it's what he wore sort of during. I think it's when he came over to Ring of Honor. He wore it, but it's kind of like black and silver mask, and it's sort of got he's got really black eyes, and it kind of again morphs into his face. It's not like a mask which you can see sat on his face. Yeah. It's more like it morphs into his skull and everything, and it just mixes yeah. in with his, uh, you know, like his features. Um, and he kind of grew his beard out a little bit, so he had a bit of stubble going on, and he just looked like a real kind of um, this this kind of extraterrestrial 
sort of or spiritual like you said spiritual beast probably is the best way to put it like you said you know very much like a you know a dragon or some kind of oriental um, mm. spirit coming from across the the pearl of the orient you know of the orient you know hence why it's called the pearl of the orient um you know and in terms of other memories for me more recent memories what sticks out to me um and for a lot of people i expect and this is the interesting thing as well what i was going to say earlier on is that muta because of his generations which he's wrestled in there are people who watched him in his early years who'll remember particular things people in his middle years like myself and um you will remember things but then there's also these fans recently due to the sort of um acquisition by ddt of Noah, so the Wrestle Universe sort of fans, and this sort of current era who've seen uh, Muta and Keiji Muta for the first time. And one of my most recent memories, but one that will stick out to me, is the match against the Naimichi Marafuji at the Cyber Fight Festival, where Muta actually did the moonsault for the first time in yeah. like years and somehow did it. And the reaction in the audience and the, the com- commentators was just uh-huh. absolute hysteria. <laughs> you know, how's he done this? You know, and it's just. And you see how big he is, like you said. But that, that I mean, what did you think when you saw that? Because I just couldn't believe it when I saw him do that so <clears> perfectly. <throat> it was crazy. Yeah, it was the same. I, and the moonsault's like one of my favorite moves from him as well. So when we, and he was like almost like um, just buried and he hasn't used it in so long that when he actually pulled it out, it's like, oh, crap. He could still go. He could still <laughs> do it. I couldn't believe it. Because he's, like you said, he's such a big guy. And yeah, like, that way. Yeah, uh, especially um, I don't know, like even in person or on TV, like you, you kind of just forget how big some um some of these guys are, and with his size and his age and just the way he moves, like it's it's definitely a spectacle to see him being able to um get up there and just do it so gracefully in the air. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you know that's the thing is that he he did it was picture perfect moonsaulting. That that's why it was so amazing to see as well it you know it, it was just done with such grace and it just landed perfectly you know and and it just added into that match as well you know that's one of my that's actually one of my favorite matches of you know the last year in terms of japan i think just because not just because of the moonsault but just again the um fact that muta kind of had a second coming in a sense and muto you know it just kind of was able to because because he'd gone through a period where a lot of people i think um were doubting him in terms of his age and things like that and i think that was kind of coming out as to say i'm still here and i can still deliver on you know a big stage and it was definitely a match which over delivered for me in many ways Um, Mm -hmm. and i think his the other recent memory which sticks out to me as well was uh, from earlier this year was the match um at Wrestle Kingdom uh, Night 3, which was the one where he teamed with uh, Keito Kiyomiya um, from nowhere against uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada of uh, New Japan because they had the New Japan versus Noah show going on on day three of um, Wrestle Kingdom to celebrate the 50th anniversary of New Japan, but also um, the... Uh, yeah, as far as I was thinking about it, it was Noah's anniversary. No, sorry, it was the 50th anniversary of uh, New Japan. And that image at the end where, um, I mean, that match itself, again, in terms, this is the thing, what you were saying about, like, emotions and emitting emotions and just having a presence. And the whole match was just so emotional. For It's one of those matches where it just draws you in somehow, you know. And this is the thing, what I love about wrestling, in that, is that, similar like you were saying about when you saw Muta up close there's that kind of when you're able to some people are just able to grasp you out then they're just able to just draw you in and yeah. he he did that and you couldn't take your eyes off the screen and similar for you like you couldn't take your eyes off the ring and there's that image at the end where uh Kiyomiya loses and then he feels like he's let no uh, down but there's that amazing shot which someone <laughs> took on camera of Tanahashi at one side and then Muta at the other side, outside on the ring, sort of sat on the um in Yokohama Arena, sat on the um the entranceway, sat in the entranceway, and that kind of not necessarily passing of the torch, but the two generations and stuff. And Definitely. that's the thing, isn't it? You know, where it's like he's had such an influence on so many people in Japan, you know, like he is a true 
figure of Japanese wrestling in the same vein as someone like Ricky Dozan or, uh, you know, and uh, recently Antonio Noki passed away, obviously. Um, that kind of vibe, though, isn't it? Where he did, ha- he has had such an impact on so many people of this modern generation. It's quite astounding, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's it is pretty impressive. And, and like, when you when you think about that match as well, it's like, you know, wrestling at the end of the day, it's it's a story, you know. Uh-huh. And when it comes to storytelling and just everything he does in a match, like, it, it all has a meaning. It all um, it's all building towards something. And that, that photo you're speaking about too, there's like like that photo just encapsulate you know it it tells the whole story and yeah. and, and just from that one photo you, you can just tell all the emotions like everything even if you miss that match just that photo itself um it shows so much and and that's such a big old school way as well like storytelling is the means for professional wrestling and, and that match um you know it, it, it laid that for it absolutely I mean, it's such an iconic image that now, I think. And, you know, again, in terms of... You said off-air as well, in terms of what Muta has inspired in you as a person. What kind of... Is that as a wrestler as well as outside of the ring? What has he actually kind of taught you as a... There's a few things he's taught me, actually, which I will say afterwards, but I just wondered on your side first, what's he actually kind of taught you or made an impression on you in terms of what um, your life... Yeah, um, I think at the end of the day, it's just dedication. You know, just dedication and, and sacrifice is uh, just a huge thing that you can see in his career. You know, he's, he goes, um, just with his character, he's 110% in, into it. You know, something with that as well is like, if you're not 100% into it, it can easily flop. You know, it yeah. can, it'll show the fan, people can sniff it out. If you're not into it, you know, something like that, if he, you know, for some reason was not into all of it, it would have flopped, it would have looked bad. But him being 110% into that and um, just being immersed into the great Muda, like everything from just like grabbing his throat before doing like the, the, the mist and everything, just every movement, like he, like we said earlier, like he became um, like someone different. And yeah. that dedication you know, that dedication and seriousness in that ring, uh, I try to carry myself as well. Like, there's a lot of guys like him, uh, Loki, we, th- we talked about earlier, uh, Amazing Red, uh, the Bre- you know, Bret Hart. Like, they were all very serious um, professional wrestlers in the ring. Like, when they showed up, like, they met business. And, you know, with, with that dedication and with that you know, sacrifice, I hope to bring that into the ring as well and um, apply that to my craft. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I couldn't really put it um, by myself really Adam I think that's uh, uh, very similar to me the other thing the other thing for me what Muta always what he kind of has shown me in his career as well for, for me is that um, never be scared to reinvent yourself or to go somewhere and try new things and just go with the flow in a sense you know like everywhere he's been he's just been able to just find his find his way and he has evolved always evolve always look at ways to change things it's like if the it's like if you put the mooter of you know say like i don't know i mean like 88 into you know Noah in 20 last year it'd be fine but there's something about the way he's evolved and he's sort of more it's very much like kind of like a Pokemon or some kind of, you know, a manga character or something in some where it's like it's kind of he's like leveled up. Yeah, leveled up. Yeah, exactly. It's just like leveled up and it's become even more immortal in a sense. You know, it's yeah. like it's it's different stages, isn't it? And that's what it's kind of taught me, is to kind of look at, you know, um adaptability and just see how you can sort of mold around something for it to fit you and he's always done that and like you were saying about his dedicate that's hence why his career has lasted nearly 40 years that dedication to the business is unparalleled you know what i mean his influence on so many wrestlers including yourself is testament to that and his respect the respect of his peers i think that's probably for me as a because i'm only a fan at the end of the day i'm not actually a wrestler I, I, i don't go in the ring but the biggest and it's it's one thing to have the respect of fans but it's another thing to have the respect of your peers who you're working with. And that's both, you know, 
elder generations and the younger generations. And he's been able to show that through his work and through his dedication and through being given able being able to sorry give people opportunities, whether it be in all Japan, whether it's in New Japan, Wrestle One, uh, Noah. Um, he's been able to to do that, and he's definitely someone who, you know. I'm very, as a wrestling fan, when people say as well, why do you love wrestling? One of the reasons is, you know, he's definitely the great Muta, without doubt. Yeah. You know, I don't think, I mean, he, is he part of the reason why he got into the industry as well? Uh, like when you saw his matches and things, like was he one of the people who you kind of, like you said about having his mask and you were thinking about that, is he someone you looked at and you thought he'd got a really unique style that you want to kind of, not to emulate per se, but kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, 110%. I, I, there's a lot of things that I will, and, and it's unintentional too. Like I noticed um, like while training, when I first um, started wrestling, like I'll do certain things in the style of Great Muda only because I've watched him so much and like I, I admired him as well. Like I noticed I was doing certain moves and certain movements. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and like I walk myself back and I'm like, oh, like <laughs> I'm like, I remember realizing it, but I was like, you know, copying him in a way. Um, and I do that, you know, out of respect. He's um, such a legend to the industry. And um, yeah. It... He's just oh, one. oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. You're good. No, no, carry on. No, carry on. I uh, cut you off there. No, carry on. Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, I just lost my train of thought for a sec. <laughs> I was just going to say, no, he's just, just like I said, I think that's the one word what keeps coming through, though, isn't it? It's just legend. You know, truly is a legend of... And I, and I think the thing as well is he's not just a legend of wrestling in, in, in terms of, again, wrestling in the West is seen as a form of entertainment majority of the time. I mean, it's a sport, but it's seen predominantly as kind of a form of entertainment, whereas in Japan... There, like you said about the level of dedication and the level of seriousness in terms of the way it's portrayed, it'll be a big deal when Muta and Keiji Muto actually retires. Like it'll, I know, you know, it'll it'll be a packed house for the Tokyo Dome when he does actually retire, and you know he'll be able. And it's going to be there'll be some very important people, you know, in the audience from around the world as well. It's not just a case of. Um, you know Japan, but around the world with his both wrestlers and maybe some people as well, celebrities and and so on. And he is a legend. You know, he truly is yeah. a legend. Um, it's a huge turning point in wrestling, especially like I feel like these past like couple of years is a nice little pocket of um, huge legends that impacted a career that are actually you know hanging up you know the the boots like they're actually calling it and retiring and. You know, sitting back and looking at the craft and what they did in their entire life, and Great Mood is definitely one of the tops, one of the greats. I I honestly believe he's um, still very underrated in a lot of uh, cases as well. But when he finally retires, I think that's going to be such a big bookmark in professional wrestling that everybody's going to have to uh, watch and experience, and you know, tune in that night to see such a legendary and big, impactful. Um, like time slot in wrestling. Absolutely. I, I agree with you that he is very underrated in certain regards. I, I believe, I think he's a wrestler who will, we will see a big hole form. You know, I think he, and <laughs> like you say, we will because he very much like Jushin Liger, he influenced mm-hmm. a gen, not just a generation, but two generations, if say of, of countless people. I mean, you know, there's matches, you know, the great Muta against against the great Onita, you know, Atsushi Onita or the great Nita or, you know, great Muta against fake great Muta and great Muta, you know, Keiji Muto against... Yeah. So it's like people emulate him because very much like, you know, other wrestlers like The Undertaker or like Sting and things. He, he, he was able... He's able to bring people back I believe anyway, he's able to bring people back to the time or wrestlers as well, back to the time where they became a fan and Mm -hmm. he blurs the line in the sense of that he is 
you know, he exists in, I hate the phrase kayfabe, but the great Muta yeah. is part of that kayfabe tradition, which in a lot of aspects is sadly lost now, but he yeah. still has it there. And it's a big, de- you know, it's it, it's a big deal, the fact that, you know, he's um, been able to keep that persona, well, that aura and that persona for so long and just, um, you know, sort of, keep invent reinventing it. I mean one of my other favorite memories actually uh, is and one of my proud uh, not a proudest moments as a fan was when for some reason uh, it made me feel proud as a fan probably because it was I was a I'm a huge fan of Ring of Honor but it was when the New Japan and Ring of Honor show took place in Madison Square Garden and when actually mm. the great oh. Muta came out in the Honor Rumble uh, Battle Royal before the show began you know like the pre-show and it came out um, because he'd made it at Madison Square Garden as well, which was a massive deal for me. And that the great Muta was in Madison Square Garden. It's like you know, Jesus Christ, like you know, great Muta's <laughs> here. You know, um, I mean, were you, did you feel the same? And like, did you expect that to happen? Like, that was a shock, shock moment for me. I yeah. never expected that to happen. I, I was not expecting that uh, that night. That was um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that was the same night we had our House of Glory show. Because so, um. I remember he had his match at House of Glory and he almost like, you know, after his match, he left and I was okay, he's leaving. But then um, that same night, he showed up to MSG. Wow. So he, he double whammy that night. Like he, he probably left our arena to go straight to MSG and then go there as well. Wow. And his age, like, you know, like, like he just, you know, when you just wrestle a match, you're, you're beat up afterwards after getting slammed into the canvas and hitting the ropes and getting punched, slapped, elbowed. Like you're, you know, you're you're a little sore. So from going from a, a six man tag and then hopping in, um, to the uh, arena, I thought that was super impressive. And I, yeah. I'm, I, I hope I'm not crossing my my timelines, but I'm like ninety percent sure. Like that was the same day. Yeah. It was like 20, right. Yeah. It was. It was twenty nineteen. Yeah. Um. It was, it was during. Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he, it was WrestleMania he, he week. It was WrestleMania weekend. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure it was because it was. G1 Supercard was the show um, during, I believe it was WrestleMania weekend. Yeah. Because, yeah. I later on in the day, and I was like, yo, this guy double whammy. Like, <laughs> like what a, <laughs> what a, like, he just left to go and go wrestle again. That's something like somebody young would do and try to, like, you yeah. know, like, but, like, yo, that's, it was, it was super impressive. And it caught me off guard as well because, like, that's the, I, I just saw him wrestle. I, I didn't think he'll just pop up and, and wrestle again. Yeah. So that, that caught off guard, yeah, hugely that night. Yeah. That's amazing. I never actually yeah. knew that. That's crazy. Um, another incredible memory of Muta. I mean, the thing is as well is um, just in kind of in kind of closing, like what we've kind of said a lot of sort of sentimental and you know profound things about about Muta in a sense. And you know, you obviously, like I said, you were able to meet him and interact with him. What kind of is your one memory or one thing what you will sort of feel sad about when he does retire what's the thing what you'll you know what will feel how you feel when he does retire what's the main outstanding memory of Muta for you um you know i think selfishly um i would like to be in the ring with him and although you know Time-wise, I was just born a little too late to actually experience that and be in a ring with them. I, I hope to, um, you know, like we talked about earlier, I, I missed an opportunity to speak with him uh, when I was in Japan. And I hope that, you know, our paths uh, cross again and I'm able to just talk to him and pick his brain. And uh, so he can really uh, give me some great advice that I can learn and pick up on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm truly grateful for um, just for him. You know, he's one of the founders for Russell One. And if he never um, helps create Russell One, I would have never had a tryout for Russell One. I would have never even gone out to Japan for Russell One. Like, who knows what could have happened? If he, for some, whatever reason, um, Russell One was never a thing, who knows if I would have gotten that opportunity to go to Japan? Yeah. So, I feel like, I, you know, whether he knows it or not, I'm like, in, in a way, in debt to him. Um, his choices and, and the way he carried in his life um, impacted me in that way and gave me an amazing experience so i hope to one day just you know talk to him and, and thank him for that and be able to uh 
build a friendship and just uh, talk to him and learn from him, you know? Well, I couldn't put it any better than that, Adam. You know, just uh, like I said, I still marvel at the fact you were able to, you know, have a short interaction with him. And, you know, it's uh, definitely going to be a historic and emotional moment when he does retire. Both Keiji Muto and the great Muto, it will be a very emotional moment. Um, and just like I said at the beginning, you know, just thank you so much for allowing me to, uh, you know, pick your brain about, you know, the great Muta and memories of Muta because, you know, that's, you know, what I wanted to be able to do because he is one of, you know, as you mentioned before off off camera and when we spoke before, one of your favourite wrestlers. So just thank you for letting me, you know, um, interview you today about it and just share some memories of him. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Seriously. Oh, no, thank no, thank you. You're welcome anytime, you know, anytime at all, you know, as we said before. And it's just a great privilege to be able to speak to you again after, you know, so long and just be able to pick up where we left off with talking about wrestling. It's just one of those special things, isn't it? You know, and especially a person like the great Muto where KG Muto has just so much to talk about. And, you know, um, I just hope... Like you said, if you are listening, KG Muto, I hope so. Maybe you won't understand us because we're speaking English as opposed to yeah. Japanese. <laughs> I know I know KG Muto does speak quite good English though, to be fair. I've yeah. heard I've heard that. So if you are listening, you know, from, from me and Adam, you know, thank you. And uh, there'll be some more memories of Muto coming with my uh, with my friend uh, Polish Barry at some point as well from BBG Wrestling. We're just working out timelines and things, so mm. look out for those. Um, but yeah, so one one thing I want to close up with Adam is where can people find you on social media and be able to check out some of your um some of your matches and some of your work? Yeah, definitely. So right now I'm only on Instagram, so you can find me on Instagram at, at the underscore arsenal ninety eight. Uh, I'll post um you know I'm just there posting uh, my workout videos, my training videos on uh, me inside the ring. Uh, if you need to contact me, I have my email information there as well for any bookings. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, Adam. And uh, yeah, so that's it from me, uh, Stephen Jackson, for this special episode of Memories of Muta for bbgwrestling.com. And you can find BBG Wrestling on Twitter at BBG Wrestling. And as just mentioned, you can find our website at www.bbgwrestling.com. So that is it for me, Stephen Jackson, with this amazing Memories of Muta special interview episode with Adam the Arsenal Acevedo. Thank you once again, Adam, and I'll catch you all again soon, everyone. Awesome. Take care.